Well, hey, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. It's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And I want to talk to you on the subject of my truth and God's truth. My truth and God's truth. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Then we'll venture over to the Old Testament for one short passage uh, right after that. It says this, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat it. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, uh, and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of his presence, which it was not lawful for him nor those with him to do, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Then he went on from there and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They asked this so that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it fell into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him to destroy him. I want to look at one more passage in Micah 6.8. It says this, What then does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together today. I pray that as we read your word and we consume your word, that it would speak to the deepest parts of us. Father, we came here to encounter you and to hear from you and to be changed by you. And Father, we believe you for it and we expect that in, in today's time together. Thank you so much. We believe all of these things in your name, Jesus Christ, the strong son of God. Amen. Have you ever had a moment where uh, you encountered a person or you encountered information and from the moment the conversation started, you kind of already made up your mind about whatever that thing was. Have you ever had that moment? And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about like your intuitive nature. I'm talking about completely an emotive response to a moment. Maybe you met somebody and, they, and like they said something or did something in a certain way and it kind of rubbed you the wrong way. Or you heard about a, a scenario, maybe you're watching something on TV and the news or something and, and it tells you about something and you begin to automatically make up your mind. Have you ever done that? Anybody with me in that? I, I've done that probably more than I'd like to admit. And the hard part is, I don't know if you've ever continued to have this experience, but when you have that moment and then later on you get even more information that like combats the way that you originally thought, and then you just try to pretend like that information doesn't exist. Anybody else with me? Like, I feel like we've all had that moment before where we wanted to have our mind made up, and even when information comes that disagrees with what we're thinking, we still struggle with having a mind shift. I know I've had those moments, and I'm beginning to see those moments in the life of my kids. 
I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old, uh, Jackson, who's oldest, and Eden, uh, who is the youngest, and they're 13 months apart because uh, my wife and I are gluttons for punishment, and uh, they're just, they're just uh, absolutely super rambunctious, and I love this stage because they wrestle with me, they wrestle with each other, they're just super fun. Well, one day, about two or three weeks ago, they're wrestling on the couch, and they're just playing, goofing off, just kind of shoving each other, playing, very lighthearted, and Eden, my youngest, decides to look out the window that's behind the couch on the wall that the couch is pressed up against. And she stops. She's looking out the window. Jackson stops. He starts to watch TV and he just finds himself in his own little world. And Eden is uh, looking out the window and she decides it's time to turn around and watch TV with her brother. And when she does this, she doesn't do it in like a timid, chill, just kind of turns around and sits down sort of way. She does it in a jumping 360 spin move. And when she does this, she flails her body across the couch and pounds Jackson just square in the face. I mean, Sugar Ray Leonard style, just hits him dead in the face. And, and Jackson, of course, unbeknownst to him that I saw this whole thing, he begins to just freak out. He begins to scream and cry and he runs to me in the kitchen and he says, daddy, 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 Eden hit me. And I said, well, Jackson, I... I know she hit you, I'm sure, I'm sure it hurt, trying to pretend like I care in the moment. And, uh, and you know, just sitting there, you're like, I, it's probably, it was probably an accident, accident. And, she, and he does this, he goes, no, daddy, she did it on purpose, punish her. And I just, it's like, so here's my four-year-old giving me advice on parenting my three-year-old. And, uh, which happens way more than I ever thought it would at this age. And so I said, no, 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 look, Jackson, calm down, take a deep breath, it's gonna be fine. She didn't do it on purpose, I saw it happen. And she goes, no, daddy, she did it on purpose, she did it on purpose, she did it on purpose. Jackson had convinced himself in the moment by no real logic, by no, by no real reason, other than how he emotionally felt in the moment that she did what she did on purpose and there was no convincing him otherwise. There was no convincing him otherwise. And I bring that up today because what Jackson was doing in that moment is actually something that is not new to society. It's as old as the world. And that is that in that moment, Jackson chose um, to tap into what I would call a self-designated conscience. A self-designated conscience. Now, if you are not familiar with that term, we all know what a conscience is, like, right? Like the little Jiminy Cricket, let your conscience be your guide, right? Like it's what helps us understand morals, ethics, and values, and, and all, everything in between. But a self-designated conscience is when I take on that part of my life uh, independently of, of other things around me, and I choose what my morals what my ethics, what my values are, and ultimately what my truth is. And oftentimes, our emotions are the driving force of our self-designated conscience. Now, I said just a second ago that this is not old by any stretch. However, the world that we live in, unfortunately, we are seeing this become more and more prominent and more and more emotively based in our culture. And this is, this is something we see constantly. Have you ever had somebody sit down with you and have a conversation and begin it with the statement, I want to give you my truth? That 
is a self-designated conscience because they're sitting down with you not to help them process them a moment, not to help them process an issue, but what they're looking for is your validation of their version of the truth. And for several years as a youth pastor, I'd have teenagers or even parents sometimes come down and whether they use that uh, statement specifically or not, what they were doing was sitting down with me as their pastor and as their shepherd to validate their version of the truth. There's only one problem with that. As a shepherd and as a pastor and as any of us as Christ followers, uh, there's, there's only one choice for truth. I can either choose to validate uh, their version of their truth or I can choose the truth. Like there's oftentimes they're separate things. And unless they are the same, as a pastor, it's our job to help people understand what the truth is instead of their truth. That's why when people get offended in church, oftentimes it's not because the pastor said something wrong with scripture. It's because what we said based on the truth interrupts your truth. And so we struggle with this process of understanding what the truth is because we have begun to significantly own my truth or your truth. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we never say anything wrong. However, oftentimes when people are frustrated with something we say, it's not that they're offended. It's because they've experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the problem is that we struggle so much between my truth and their truth that we honestly don't know the difference sometimes. And we don't, we don't understand that, that the scripture tells us that the word does a lot of different things. And one of those things is rebuking, which is connected to changing the way that we think. And so when we talk about this conversation of my truth versus God's truth, it's very, it's very important that we understand that this is a, a battle within, within us. And the, the tension that many of us have is that the more we own, especially emotionally, our truth, the more that we own it, the harder it is for us to accept what the truth is. The more I have um, stock in what I think and how I feel, the harder it is for me to accept God's truth in my life. And this is really based on an inflated view of what we would call self. We live in a, a culture that idolizes our, ourselves, our independence, our individuality. And the, the problem with that is that, yes, there is, a, there is good that comes out of our independence. There is good that comes out of our individuality. However, when we choose to be Christ followers, we are called to be people that identify not with our own version of truth, but with his truth. And the longer that we live in the realm of being okay with our truth, the more difficult it will be to accept the truth. And this, what we're talking about this morning is very specifically connected to Matthew chapter 12. Because the Pharisees had a law and they referenced the law. They talk about the law of the Sabbath in the passage. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus begins to feed his men, that the Pharisees question what they're doing. They say, listen, why are you okay with disobeying the law of the Sabbath? Now, you, to understand like contextually what they're talking about, they're not simply talking about the, the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, but they're talking about laws that they've created over generations of time that support in their mind the law of the Sabbath. 
So 50,000 foot view, if, if you're a Bible scholar in the room, I get that this is like very um, global in understanding and not real um, nitpicky. But how it worked in, in the Old Testament and throughout generations of Pharisees and, and religious leaders was this, that there were laws and they wanted to bring clarification to those laws. So they made laws that supported those laws. So when the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, they're not just talking about him not obeying the Sabbath. They're talking about him not obeying the rules that they built to obey the Sabbath. See, out of that desire to respect the law, they created their own version of what it meant to follow the law. And when, in as much as when they were presented with the heart behind the law from the Son of God, they did not recognize it as truth, they recognized it as fallacy. Why? Because it disagreed with their truth. And they find themselves very frustrated and very confused by Jesus because they chose to commit more to their truth than God's truth. And the difficult part we find ourselves in in our own lives is this, that when I choose to be committed to my truth more than the truth, I will ultimately do whatever I have to do to protect my truth from the truth. And we see Jesus trying to help them understand exactly what's going on. We see Jesus talk to them and say, L listen, this is, like, this is the point of the law. The law isn't here for us to, to serve it. The law is here to serve us. And by taking care of people, I'm not disobeying the law. But for them in this moment, they didn't get it. And Jesus even explains it a few times. One of the things that he tells them is this. He says, do you not remember like when David uh, fed people from the bread of his presence, a, a holy um, piece of bread, and how disrespectful that would in theory be to the law, but it wasn't disrespectful in that context. Not only that, he says something else to further the, the, their understanding. He says, there's something greater than the temple here. There's something greater than the temple here. What's Jesus communicating? He's saying, listen, there's something in this moment more important than the man-made constructs that you have given your life to. There's something bigger here, that this temple is representative of what they built, their truth, their version of the truth. And he's saying, listen, don't miss out on what's happening here because it's bigger than your version of truth. And then he tells them, you would get all of this if you understood the statement that it is better to show mercy than it is to sacrifice. And Jesus is trying to help them understand that what their version of the truth was, was disconnected from the truth. And the problem that we have is that when we're confronted with the truth, one of two things happens to my truth. The first thing that happens, that can happen, is that I choose to submit. And I choose to allow the truth to shape my truth. The second thing that happens, or could happen, is that I choose to demean and demoralize that which is actually the truth. And this is what we see in this passage. What does scripture tell us happens in verse 14? It says that they left after they saw Jesus heal the man with the withered hand, and they begin to plot in how to destroy Jesus. So it could easily be said that because of their protection of their truth, they crucified the truth. 
And we do this in our own life. That for many of us, we're so bought into our version of morals and our version of values and our version of ethics and ultimately our version of the truth that when the truth is presented to us and there's a conflict, we struggle with being willing to submit with that which is different than the way that we've chosen to process it. Now, what is the tension here? What is the issue here when we look at this passage of Scripture? Oftentimes when we, when we have these kind of conversations, we think, well, isn't, isn't the tension that we shouldn't have a self-designated truth or a self-designated conscience and that we, we, should, we should wholly commit to the truth? That, that sounds like what would typically be the answer. There's only one problem with that. We all have a version of my truth. We all have a version of a self-designated conscience. I'll prove it to you. Y'all ready for it to get a little uncomfortable? Y'all ready? All right. Most, if not everybody in this room, if we were gonna talk politics, everybody just got a little uncomfortable. I said, I said it, I said it out loud. You choose to vote either Democrat, Republican, Independent, and we'll throw in Libertarian just for fun of it, right? So you choose one of those areas to vote. You vote your conscience. If you're a Christ follower, you vote your conscience because deep down there is an aspect of that party that you believe more lines up with the heart of Jesus and you vote that way for that reason. We can all agree with that, right? Like, like we, that's how we individually make that decision. Here's the only problem. If you are a Democrat in this room, then there are people who are Republicans that disagree with your point of view. If you're a Republican in this room, there are people who are Democrats who disagree with your point of view. And we don't even know what independents think, right? So, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's this tension because we all are trying to do the same thing. We desire at some level to please God with our views, with our values, and with our ethics. However, we come to different conclusions. We all have in us this, this tension of our own version of truth. So what then is the goal? It is that we discover what is right for the foundation of my truth. That we build on a foundation that is, that is saturated in God's truth. That we develop a conscience that affects our morals, our ethics, our values in who God is, in the character and the nature of God. And for so many of us, our truth comes from another place. Our truth comes from a different place in our life. It comes from our emotional responses. It comes from the amount of media that we consume. It comes from all of these different genres of our life instead of the truth that we can only receive from an intimate relationship with Jesus. Jesus desires to help us understand what is true through our relationship with him. And he desires for our truth, for my truth, to become closer and closer with each passing day to his truth, the truth. So what does it look like to do that? I wanna spend the next few minutes of our time talking about what it means to adopt the truth as my truth. How do I do that? How do I adopt the truth as my truth? The first thing is this, that I have to be intentional. I have to be intentional 
I'm not going to wake up one morning and all of a sudden download a revelation from God that gives me the truth. If it worked that way, that would be awesome. That is not how it works. I have to be intentional in my relationship with God. The reason that we tell you on a regular basis to do things like read scripture, to do things like meditate on scripture, to do things like have a regular prayer life, is not because we want you to be a super Christian. It's because we want you to know God intimately. That when I know God intimately, I'm intentional about knowing God. I discover who he is. I discover the relationship that reveals to me his character, his nature, and his way of life for me. I discover those things, but it only comes through intentionality. It only comes through my willingness to, to make time to know him. I know, I know people in relationship because I've been willing to give them time and be, been willing to learn who they are and develop um, a, a time where we get to know each other. And that is the thing that God calls us to do with him. And it is in our intention to know him that we begin to understand more closely his truth in our life. Now, these next three that we're going to talk about are, are really um, responses in how we live to live out the truth. Being intentional is a decision that we make internally to know God. But the next three that we're going to look at are, are just simply what it looks like to live out the truth, to live out God's character and nature in our life. The first one, or the second one I want to look at is we, we are called to be merciful. We're called to be merciful. There's a passage of scripture, we read it just a few minutes ago, that's been very personal for me for about the last four or five years. And that's Micah 6, 8. It says, what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. It's been a passage that I've, I've studied. It's been a passage that I've preached. It's, it's really become... Um, a, a focus for me over the, last, over the last several years. And I was reading a, a commentator on this passage the other day, um, and it was talking about this, this second attribute that we're talking about, being merciful, to be merciful. And the scripture tells us to love mercy. And the, the commentator said this, he said, oftentimes when we read this, we see, what does the Lord require of you? Bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And he said, when you look at it in its entirety, when you look at the, the scripture in its, its entirety, and you're not just looking at verse by verse, line by line, he said you almost get a very different understanding of the passage. Because if you look above mercy and below mercy, there are actions. But mercy is an emotive response to the people that are in front of us. And it's almost as if to say that when I choose to love people through mercy in my own life, that out of the overflow of that mercy comes living justly and walking humbly. That that, that centerpiece of the passage, out of the overflow of those things, those two actions become reality in my life. And what does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean really basically to live a life where we love mercy? It means that we choose to see and treat people the way that we see Jesus see and treat people. What made uh, Matthew chapter 12 so important is that Jesus chose people over a law. 
He chose to be merciful over just doing what was common to be right. He chose to love people by being merciful to them more so than, than being um, subservient to a rule. And what I love, I love about this picture is that it helps us understand how Jesus desires for us to see others. That even when it's inconvenient, even when it's tough, even when being merciful to somebody questions, others will question our reputation out of that, God still showed mercy. And oftentimes we're so worried, we're more worried about what people will think of us than how we care for people. Yet we see Jesus willing to sacrifice it all. Jesus knew what was gonna come when religious leaders saw him showing mercy more than sacrifice. And he knew what it was going to do, yet Jesus chose to be merciful. If I wanna live out the truth of, of God in my life, if I want a God-given conscience in my life, it starts with being intentional, but it also requires me to be merciful. The third is this, that we are to be humble. We're to be humble, we're to walk with humility, we're to live out humility. What does it mean to be humble? In the most basic way that we can begin to think about humility, it means that I choose firstly and foremost not to inflate my sense of self and lord it over other people. Not to inflate my perspective, my pers experience, and my understanding, my lens of life over other people's. We do that, don't we? When we hear somebody talk about something that's contrary to what we've experienced, when we, when we do that and we, we listen to somebody um, that has lived a very different life than us, th there's part of us that thinks, well, if you had just done it my way, you would be in a better spot. It's real uncomfortable because none of us would say that out loud. But if we were honest, we felt it before. Man, if you just thought the way I did. Humility is understanding or being willing to not inflate my sense of self or my own perspective. Not only that, it's being willing to care for those and to pay attention to those who have a different perspective and different experience. It's not only my, my willingness to bring myself down to an equal playing field, but it's to care for those around me. And Jesus did that in that moment. Jesus did it in two different spots in, in Matthew 12. Number one, he did it with the Pharisees. He tried his best to help them understand the moment. He explained it to them in three different ways. Here's what's happening and here's why. He showed humility rather than just saying, you're a bunch of idiots and you don't get it. I'm the son of God, listen to me, right? Like he could have done that. But he didn't. He did his best to help them understand. And not only that, he went into the synagogue and saw somebody that, in all fairness, he could have just healed on a Monday. And he chose in that moment to heal him because he understood and felt in that moment his, his personal perspective in that moment, that he had lived with that issue for so long. And that humility that we see God approach, that we see Jesus approach with both the Pharisees and with this man with the withered hand, not to mention feeding his disciples, is the, is the humility that God desires for us to take on. 
that living out the truth, that living out the morals, the values, the ethics, and the, ultimately the path of life that God desires for us to have requires us to choose to be people who are humble, requires us to choose to be people who don't see the way that we think as better than other people, but to choose to sit down in a commonality where we can love them and we can respect them and we can show mercy to them so that we can make a difference in their life. This is what God's truth looks like. So if I want to live out God's truth through his character and his nature, I have to be intentional, I have to be, uh, I have to be merciful, I have to be humble, and then the last one is this, I have to be just. I have to be just. When I read or heard this story read as a, as a kid and as a teenager, the way that I understood it and the way that it was explained to me was that Jesus healed the man with the withered hand and he fed his disciples because he was the son of God. And because he was the son of God, everything that he did was in fulfillment of the law. This was kind of how it was explained to me. And maybe you've, you've experienced a similar explanation that, that Jesus did things that other people couldn't because he was the son of God. But I, I wanna correct that both in my own heart and maybe in, in yours today. Because Jesus didn't feed his disciples in this moment because he was the son of God and had the ability or power or authority to. Nor did he heal a man with a withered hand because he was the son of God and he had the authority to do so. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And it cost Jesus. It cost him a lot. But he was willing to do it because when he saw this man, he couldn't help but do right by him. And I believe more than anything that when, when we receive God's grace through his sacrifice, that we took communion to celebrate and remember this morning, that we are the righteousness of God. I do believe that. But I also believe that that comes with a responsibility to as proactively as possible in our own life, choose to do what is right, even when it costs us. And for many of us, we struggle with accepting what is merciful and what is humble and what is right because that truth costs us. And the, one of the greatest issues I see in our, in our nation, in our world culturally is, and I wasn't even planning on saying this, but I'm gonna throw it out there this morning, is that we find ourselves stuck between our truth and God's truth. And the issue that we have is that it will cost us. And many of us, the thing that it will cost us is relationships. I live in a very difficult season of my life right now. Let me share why. Because I have people that I love and that I value that are choosing to do things that are not in alignment with God's truth. And I have watched other people connected to those people choose to adopt a perverted version of the word of God so that they can sit down comfortably with those people and pretend like there's nothing wrong. 
And that's difficult. Because as easy as that would be for me, God's called me not to have my truth, but God's called me to hold on to his truth. And I'm telling you right now, it's costing me something. The only reason that I feel free enough to say that in this moment is because I know none of them will watch this online. If I'm being straight up honest with you, that they are walking away from everything that is right and everything that is holy. And it is, it is tearing me up inside. But for so, for, and it would be so easy for me to stop and go, you know what? I'm just gonna let it go. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a pin in this and, and try to forget about this aspect of truth. And I'm gonna be okay with it. But that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to be people who pick up his truth. Even if I have to do it by faith, there are things that in my life I've seen in the scripture, but I didn't necessarily believe. But when I chose to, to believe those things and I chose to hold on to those things, somehow in the middle of that process, his truth became my truth. And that's what God desires for you today. It's not that you walk out of here and just make a decision and it's, it's all okay. It's that you choose his truth. And even when that truth disagrees with people, you can still be merciful and you can still be humble and listen and you can still do right by those people. But if we want to be people who live not by my truth, but by God's truth, I have to choose in that moment to be okay with saying, no, 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 Th this is truth. And when I choose to live that out, there's something that, that changes on, in me, that even if I'm doing it by faith initially, it becomes conviction. And God's called us to be those people that even when it costs us, it costs Jesus everything. It cost him everything to be merciful and to be humble, but to hold to the, to the truth. And Jesus is calling us to be people who allow it to cost us something, that the truth costs us, but we're willing to live it out in a way that honors the character and nature of God.